0: Splatoon, don't go, do (tries) Splatoon, don't go, 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 don Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Pittsburgh Current podcast live from the beautiful downtown Beachview Business District here on Broadway and Coast. We've got a good show today. Um, Emily Kincaid, a candidate for District 20 uh, Pennsylvania House seat, is here. Um, We also um, want to tell you about an event that we are working on or we have coming up this weekend, um, you can celebrate International Women's Day this Sunday with Pittsburgh Current and Women Who Rock at the Hard Rock rock for Overcoming a Night of Storytelling to benefit McGee Women's Research Institute and Foundation on Sunday, March 8th at 7 p.m. This special event features local women presenting their stories of overcoming in life, work, and day-to-day situations. The event will be hosted by the Pittsburgh Current and Recorded for broadcast on the Pittsburgh Current Podcast Network. Um, Some of the featured readers are uh, Liz Berlin, um, Yolanda Murphy, Dr. Holly Hood, um, Bethany Rue, our own Bethany Rue, associate publisher of the Pittsburgh Current. So it should be, um, it's a great event for a great cause. Tickets start at uh, $20 and there are are other packages available. You can go to hardrockcafe.com for ticket details. I'm not a very good pitch man, um, <laughs> um, but someone who's had to pitch themselves a lot recently is attorney Emily Kincaid. She's a candidate, as I said, for Democratic nomination for the District 20 PA House seat, uh, which includes parts of the North Side, North Hills, Lawrenceville. Um, you'll face five-term incumbent Adam Ravenstall. Emily, welcome to the Pittsburgh Current podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: So the obvious first question is, um, well, actually, I think there are two. Everyone always says first um, uh, why are you running? But I always like to ask, as I think it's it's a slightly different question, which is what made you decide that politics was sort of a next step? You've been involved in 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 community activities and you've you've done a lot of work in in legislative er, legislative areas. So, what made you decide that this was now time to run?
1: Um, I mean, in in the simplest terms, I think you know, like a lot of women, Trump, prompted me. Yeah. Um so, you know, November 8th I was really drunk. <laughs> November 9th I was very hungover. And November 10th I decided I I was done waiting for other people to make the right decision. Yeah. Um and, you know, I was looking at I was in the process of buying a house, um moving back to the North Side, which is where I'm from originally, and um I realized that the person who was going to be representing me had largely been silent um, in representing the entire district. And it it really prompted me to evaluate how much, um, you know, I could do from the outside if somebody on the inside wasn't doing anything. You know, like how effective is it to lobby for change if uh, the person who's actually making the decisions ultimately only just casts a vote and doesn't actually take that information and Mm -hmm. champion these causes himself?
0: Yeah, I think you um, you um, I think there it seems like there's a. Um, From talking to some other people like um, Jessica Benham recently, um, it's that moment where you think there needs to be someone like me in that seat. And then you kind of realize, well, that someone like me could be me. So did you have sort of that moment that why wait for someone else or hope that someone else would get in the race?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, so I was working for a judge at the time, mm-hmm. um, and so I had sort of a forced uh, reality of of having to watch mm-hmm. um, other people run and other people do things, um, because as as a law clerk, you're not allowed to participate in partisan right. politics. So from the end of 2016 through 2018, I had to sit on the sidelines. Wow. Yeah, and it was a, those were really hard years to do that. Sure um but it also gave me the ability to really um watch and look and see that yeah uh somebody like me could do a really good job in this seat and why not me
0: mm-hmm. um so let's talk first about um what are some of the uh, well let's talk actually you brought up a good point you you mentioned um you mentioned your opponent Adam Ravenstahl in terms of this is someone who is a um, who is. I mean, it's a solid blue seat. That seat's never going. You know, I, I said this of another district the other night. Unless they, you know, gerrymander in parts of West Virginia, that <laughs> seat is never going red. So, um, and
1: depending on the parts of West of West Virginia, it's <laughs> right, still never going right, red. Right? It's
0: still <laughs> never going red. Right? If it gets wheeling, it's still it's still going to be tough. Um, but he's never re- so he's he's a, he's usually it would seem a solid. Blue vote for what others in um, for what others in the state house want to do, but he's never really, at least from what I've seen and from what I've read and from what I've looked up, he's never really spearheaded much. Um, and that would I would think that that would uh, in terms of legislation um, of any sort, be it something to help folks statewide or or the district. So um, was that something you took note of the fact that um, he's there, but he's not really leading maybe is that a fair way to say it
1: yeah um i i think the best way to describe it you know they say that if uh if you're not at the table you're on the menu right and and the fact of the matter is that district 20 has a seat at the table it is a guaranteed seat at the table and yet our voice is silent and so we're still on the menu and you're seeing it all across the district you're seeing it in polish hill and lawrenceville and the strip where Uh, places are building up, but investment is really unsustainable. People Mm -hmm. are being priced out of their homes. Businesses that have been there for long periods of time are shutting down because they can't pay the rent anymore. Uh, you go across into the North side, which is where I live and there's blight, there's all of these business di- business districts that are sitting empty, yeah, um, and not just empty but derelict. And you know we, we've got predatory stores coming in um, the the dollar stores, the you know Metro PCS, and and um, these these. Uh, mobile uh, stores that really aren't contributing back to right. the the uh, neighborhoods, and people aren't able to spend their dollars where they live. Yeah, and you go out into the northern boroughs—Bellevue, Avalon, Westview—and the piece of Ross that's in mm-hmm. there, and they're doing a little bit better than the north side. But largely, it's because they have their own municipal government right. that is able to kind of redirect things and advocate for for them. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Uh, We have, with this very safe blue seat, the ability to not just champion things for District 20, Mm. but champion things for the whole of the state. Um, and and go, you know, use this seat that we're never going to lose to Republicans um, and go into places that are more purple and explain and and work with the constituents there even Mm -hmm. to say, look, progressive policies help you. And this is why. And this is why you should support a Democrat, because they are working to make sure that you have a roof over your head and the, the needs that you have are met. Um, and and that we're not giving massive amounts of money to industries that don't need it right.
0: I think that what you mentioned about one place in particular East Ohio Street is the perfect sort of example of what you're talking about um, and the North Side Leadership Conference has done a great job over there um, but you know there's only so much that you can be that can be done especially when you have when there are you know private owned properties but you have, you know, you have, you know, nice little shops and you have restaurants. And then again, as you either have abandoned things or you have, as you said, sort of the exploitive type businesses. Um, and so, yeah, it would seem as though um, there is a need there. for I mean, obviously there's a need there for investment. And it would seem to be a place where um, having a state rep actively working for funds would, would be something that would be helpful.
1: Yeah, yeah. And what I what's interesting is actually East Ohio Street is not technically in the district. It's, oh, it's not two blocks outside of the is district. Is it really? Yeah. But what's interesting is that if you look at um, the places in in District 20 mm-hmm. um, or or places on the north side that you see development, yeah. none of them are in District 20. Okay,
0: that's actually um, a great point. <laughs> yeah. So
1: it's even to the point where like two blocks outside of the district, right. you're seeing this kind of investment and redevelopment um, that you're not seeing, you know, two yeah. blocks over.
0: And that's representative Wheatley's district. Correct. It is, yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, well there, I, I made a point and I did the, not the point I meant to make, but I made a point. So. <laughs> but it's, it's an <laughs> right. accurate point, you know, yeah. and,
1: and communities don't end just because we draw arbitrary lines. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, what happens on East Ohio impacts, uh, the rest of my district right. and it, it is, it's an important, thing to know that that there are a lot of uh, businesses that could that have the potential to really build up in the north side and none of that is happening within district 20.
0: And there's a lot of talk about um, progressives and progressive policies and you know we have a lot a lot of politicians these Mm -hmm. days that try to say that they are progressive. But, I mean, there's no question that that is certainly where you're coming from. So explain to me a little bit about how progressive policies and coming at things from uh, a more, even more liberal side of the party, um, how does that help the average person in these neighborhoods?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, I think progressive is, it's a very nebulous word. Sure. (laughs) Um, So I, I am, I consider myself progressive because I'm for progress. Yes. Uh, I'm for moving the ball forward. And so... A lot of these policies are really, you know, taking a holistic approach Mm -hmm. to uh, economic development and, you know, making sure that when we're making decisions about um, development and about jobs and about, uh, you know what helps our our area, that we're not just looking at it from one perspective. We're looking at it from the perspective of our, of our most marginalized communities. Mm-hmm. Because if we can help the people who have been helped the least, then we help everybody else. So, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats. Right. Um, so if you center a neighborhood like Northview Heights, which has been uh, marginalized and ignored for even right. longer than, you know, other areas of District 20 have, um, and you you make decisions that help people are, who are living there. Um, you're helping everybody else, and and so it, it, that's ultimately what I view progressive policies right. as: is that you're looking at helping kind of the least, the most vulnerable, right. um, and you help them up, you help everybody else up.
0: I assume you've gone out, you've um, you've been knocking on doors, you've been talking to residents. Um, Two things. Well, let's. will well, I'll ask them one at a time, so that way more. But so. So what are the, what are what are constituents telling you are the most important issues that they see? And um, well, and I'll just tag this on too. This is my second part. Was, mm-hmm. have you gotten a feel for, um, how the district feels about its current representation?
1: Um, so what we've been hearing at the doors a lot is, um, people are really ready for change. Mm -hmm. Um, they're ready for somebody who is going to be much more proactive, who's going to be in the the district a little bit more, who will anticipate their needs and not just expect them to find, uh, the representative and let them know, uh, what the issue is. Um, but somebody who's going to be around enough that the You know, you can talk to them about, you know, what's going on in your life and they can hear it and be like, okay, this sounds like you need this. Let me look into it and and be a little bit more proactive. So, um, you know, when we talk, it's you can kind of break the district into kind of three segments, which is the parts of the north side, the northern boroughs and uh, Lawrenceville, the strip Polish hill. Um, And they each kind of have their own unique pocket of needs. Um, So. Lawrenceville, Polish Hill, the Strip, um, they're looking for really like responsible, sustainable development um, in a way that, you know, kind of stops the bleeding at this mm-hmm. point um, in terms of not pricing people out of their homes and not, um, you know, making it unlivable there or too expensive to live. People want to continue to live in Lawrenceville. They like it, right. but they want to not have to be paying, you know, $2,000 a month for Correct. their rent. Yeah. So into the north side, the, the people there really want um, investment. They want to feel like they're not being ignored. Um, one of the most remarkable things about the north side is that each neighborhood has its own um, community group. Mm-hmm. And these community groups have been operating almost as many governments for right, so long uh, because they've just had to so they have business development uh, committees and they are buying up blighted properties and getting developers in there they're doing what elected officials should have been doing for over a decade um and it's it's incredible but it's also like this shouldn't be on you um it should be on the elected officials to help you with this so um they're looking for some people to come in and actually take up the mantle on this so it's it's not falling on them right Um, but they don't want to be like Lawrenceville and the strip. They want to have these kind of five generations of families living in their neighborhood and invested and not priced out. So um, they want to be able to spend their dollars where they live, but they don't want to uh, not be able to take advantage of, of the development that's happening. Um, In the Northern boroughs uh, it's, it's a huge issue with uh, clean air, clean water, climate change because there's landslides and, um, you know, they they're very concerned about a lot of people, you know, are, are like, oh, yeah, I, I used to live in the city. I moved out here because I wanted my kids to be in a better school district. I wanted to like a lot of the decisions they make are very clearly about their kids. And so they're very concerned about what kind of environment their kids are growing up in. And so the state of our air quality, the state of our water quality, the state of our education is very important to them.
0: If you have any questions for emily kincaid here on the pittsburgh current podcast um feel free to write them in the comment section there on facebook and we will pass them along um taking some of those uh, i guess um affordable housing of course is regardless of the region of the city is something that that needs to be that that needs fixed I mean there's just no way around that I know that you mentioned community for example the Bloomfield Garfield corporation they try and buy up as many properties as they can Mm -hmm. so they can kind of keep the prices low in the district what what do you see as um, what is the fix for um, well not the fix but where do we start in making sure Mm -hmm. there's more affordable housing
1: well I I think one of the big things that we need to acknowledge is that talking about affordable housing isn't enough because affordable housing encompasses what the median income in our area can afford. And that leaves out 50% of the people right. who uh, are are still need housing. Um, so we would have to talk about low cost housing. Um, and I don't think there's one fix for it. You have to have like a multifaceted approach mm-hmm. to it. You have to have land trust, um, the inclusionary zoning that Pittsburgh just instituted right. in, in Lawrenceville is fantastic. And I would love to see that um, become permanent and also expand into Mm -hmm. places where you can see that the development is going to go next, like the North side. Um, I'd like to see the inclusionary, uh, zoning happen, um, and, and receive funding from the state to make it happen, um, in places where we're anticipating development so that we're not kind of backpedaling and trying to, you know, fix it after, you know, it's kind of broken. Um, I, we need to, I, I bring up Northview Heights, but I think all the time, but I think Northview Heights is really like a great place to start in that if we built up more, um, units in Northview Heights, like mm-hmm. they've been asking for for years. Right. Um, if we fixed up the units that that are there already, um, you know, and really kind of centered that in a lot of ways. Um, I think we could address a lot of low cost housing needs, uh, on the North side. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you have to have kind of a, a holistic approach to it because there isn't just one magic bullet. I think land trusts are important. I think right. that community uh, community groups buying uh, properties to keep things uh, affordable is is important, and, and being able to support those with, with state money is important.
0: Um, <laughs> it's never really a good way to transition between issues. <laughs> right? But, but um, one of the things that I definitely wanted to make sure we talked about today was mm-hmm. um, the issue of... Um, uh, Women's reproductive health reproductive justice um, And I bring this up because um, For the longest time Adam Ravenstahl Was a pro-life candidate um, And it's only been I don't even know It's very recent That he has now said he's pro-choice But I think that that comes with the fact That we've seen so many Young progressive candidates In the last three years Winning seats I mean uh, uh Bethany Hallam Allegheny County councilor at large Bethany Hallam she won uh, a, a good portion of, of the 20th district mm-hmm. if i'm if i'm remembering correctly and so um, that almost seems seems to be a pivot toward you know at least acknowledging the idea that people want a more progressive leader
1: i, I think it is um, i can tell you exactly when he evolved on it yeah I'm sure. uh, <laughs> because <laughs> It was September 5th of 2019 when it was announced that he was being challenged by a woman. Right. Um, and it's it's very convenient timing that he's never actually explained as to what it is that caused him to change on this issue. Everyone, I think, that changes their mind on an issue mm-hmm. has an aha moment. Right. And he's never articulated it. Right. Um, and, and I think it's telling. It, it, people look at that and say, is... Are you have you really evolved on this issue or are you doing it because it's politically convenient? Right. Um, And and if you've evolved on the issue, what are you doing now to champion reproductive justice? Um, Because he he isn't even calling it reproductive justice. He's calling it protecting women's health care. Right. Which I think that we should be protecting everyone's health (laughs) care, everyone's access to health care. And that's not the same issue. Um, Explain the differences. So, I mean, healthcare access is is everything. It's mm-hmm. being able to see a doctor because you maybe broke your foot, mm-hmm. um, or, or you know, you have a cold that won't go away. <laughs> right. That's healthcare. Right. Reproductive justice is the ability to decide if, when, how, and why you have children, um, and your ability to raise those children in a safe environment. Mm-hmm. So it encompasses not just. Uh, the right to choose whether or not you can terminate a pregnancy, but it also includes, um, you know, determining how you're going to give birth mm. and uh, your ability to adopt children and um, you know your ability to have kids um, because we still have on the books. Uh, the ability to forcibly sterilize people, and a lot of times that those are applied to disproportionately to people with disabilities right. and people of color. And uh, if we're not addressing those issues, then we are not enacting reproductive justice. Uh, if we're not addressing environmental racism issues, we're right. not. It's not reproductive justice. Um, so it's it's a much more comprehensive thing than he's talking about.
0: Yeah, and you do. Um parts of your district you, you you do have um there is a, a, a sizable based on the district uh, african-american population mm-hmm. um and so um this of course we had the report I guess i don't know if it was earlier this year or late last year but we had the report about how pittsburgh is just not a safe place to be if you're an african-american woman um talk about that report when you heard that um i mean obviously i'm sure you know it It didn't come as a complete surprise, I think, to a lot of us that follow these kinds of issues, but it's still a pretty stark thing to see in writing. What was your what was your thoughts when you saw that? And did that even steal you like reinforce even more your desire to? To run for this seat
1: um i mean i think the first thing coming from that report that i think all of us have to do is thank black women for yeah. choosing to remain in pittsburgh and thank them for you know continuing on because you know a lot of them don't have a choice about living here right. um and because they they can't right. afford to move anywhere else so i think we owe black women a huge thank you just for existing in pittsburgh right. um but yeah i mean it definitely uh reinforced my desire to run because i think that we need more voices in our state house addressing these issues and being active voices for communities that are very clearly marginalized in our community Um, across the state you know we're not necessarily we don't necessarily prioritize this but to take this report and say look in Allegheny County, in Pittsburgh, this place that I represent, it, we are in a crisis around people who or around black people, particularly black women. And we have to do something. And the state has the power to do that. And if we're not sending people to Harrisburg who will have that conversation with other people, other representatives, then we are continuing to fail our black population.
0: Um... Of again, you've got obviously you have you have a you have a platform that is. What what else on that list is is important to you in terms of problems that you see and and in particular some plans you have to attack the environment. For example, I'm sure. I mean, it's 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 honestly, it's sometimes it it <laughs> it's hard like it's painful to think about what's it, painful to think about what's going on uh, to our planet since. 2016 you know when any kind of environmental protection policy we've had in this country has been destroyed so what could you do as a state legislator to at least do something to sort of you know protect the environment
1: Um, so this is uh, this is where I will roll back into a seemingly totally unrelated (laughs) uh, er policy area um, because. They're issues that if you want to address kind of anything else, you have to fix these first, which yeah. is money and politics and redistricting. Right. Um, if and and that I started working on those issues when I was in college at a time when no one wanted to talk about campaign finance reform um, and gerrymandering reform, um, but now they're really important issues, and people are finally getting mm-hmm. that it is it is critical to to move on those issues to move on anything else. Um, and, and I used to, I actually had a radio show for a, a group that I was involved in, right. Democracy Matters in college. Yeah. And we had a part of the program that we'd talk about, like, give me any topic and I will explain to you how it is wow. related to campaign finance <laughs> reform. Um, and this is this is it. Is that if we are really truly going to get serious about climate change and addressing our, our climate crisis, we have to address the issue of money in politics because, it, especially in Pennsylvania, where there is no limit on how much right. any individual can give to a candidate, and so uh, or or any pack, um, and so you have a lot of these oil and gas petrochemical. Um, industries that are giving massive amount of money to uh both democrats and republicans in order to and and they're you know making claims about you know jobs um and and asking that these representatives ignore the environment um and and now we're having this conversation even within the democratic party about how if if we're truly dedicated as democrats to working people and and jobs um then we should not be you know supporting these other policies and it's just a it's a false equivalency we can do both and and we should be doing both Allegheny County is perfectly poised to be at the head of the green economy. Uh we have the union infrastructure and the technological innovation to come together to be able to really truly make Allegheny County sort of the Silicon Valley of uh the green economy and and we just need uh forward-thinking representatives to do it.
0: Um and as you as you were saying that I was thinking, you know, you're <laughs> you're right because when you think about um when you think about um Anything we think about healthcare again, healthcare is another huge thing that's tied to, that can be tied back to campaign finance because yeah. you know representatives are receive money from uh, drug makers, they receive money from large healthcare conglomerates, and so um, it's pretty hard to get reform when the people um, with the most money are you know happy with the way things are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was, I was just at a, um, conservation voters, uh, event the other day and they were talking about the fact that there are, uh, 203, you know, lobbyists for the, um, oil and gas industry in Harrisburg. That's one for every legislator. Um, and they have three to five for conservation voters and it's largely just the people who actually work for conservation voters. Um, so it's it's tough because you know you don't, despite the fact that there are important issues to be stated by either side, one side is shouting and the other side is whispering. If if speech is money, or if money is speech,
0: right? Um, where do you speak going just going back to the environment for a second because I think that um, something that that people always want to directly ask and want directly answered is mm-hmm. where do you stand on the issue of fracking? I mean, we currently don't have. We don't have an extraction tax here in Pennsylvania, but then there's the other side of people just say, you know, no, you know, we, we should ban fracking altogether or put a moratorium at least until can be Where where are you on fracking?
1: Um, I think I fall somewhat in the middle. Um, in that I I absolutely think we should be taxing it. If if you are producing something in Pennsylvania, you mm-hmm. are taking advantage of an opportunity in Pennsylvania, and you should be paying basically for your the value of the opportunity you're taking advantage of and paying back into the system that has given you that opportunity so that others can have opportunities to do other things. That's literally what taxes do. Um, And so the, you know, in regards to a moratorium on fracking, um, I I do think that we need to scale back the uh, advance of, of fracking because Mm -hmm. we don't know all of the things that it's doing. We haven't taken the time to To really look into it, um, and I mean, the other thing is, we are developing fracking wells at such a rate that we are being forced to pri- or to subsidize uh, the the industry because they are producing natural gas at such a right. rate that it's no longer a, a, a profitable industry. Right. But they continue to to build these wells. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I think a moratorium would honestly help the industry. Um, and and allow us to not subsidize it anymore and Mm -hmm. and we shouldn't be subsidizing it if an industry is not profitable on its own it the government should not be propping it up um but i i also recognize that um we cannot just stop fracking tomorrow um we need to have a, a real thoughtful transition from depending on uh fossil fuels to actually having an, an effective green uh economy right. so uh we can't do to you know oil and gas workers what we did to coal miners sure which is to just be like nope we're done and, right. and steel workers um which is like okay now we're done we're just shutting it down and you know good luck yeah, for right. you right. um we have to be thoughtful about the workers that are working in this industry. They're not bad people and we shouldn't, you know, in any way villainize them. Um, and we should be making sure that they can still feed their families and keep a roof over their head. Um, and, and to just, you know, tomorrow stop fracking that would hurt a lot of people. So we have to be thoughtful about it.
0: Where where is the future of the state's economy? Um, if it's not necessarily in, um, uh, energy, um, you know, and, and oil and gas manufacturing, things like that, extraction and manufacturing, um, where do you sort of see what is the answer and how do we kind of get these workers trained, trained for a new, for kind of a new future?
1: I mean, I think they have a lot of the skills that, are needed to to really focus in on the green economy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're going to still need to manufacture a lot of right. uh, things. We need to make solar panels, and we need to make wind turbines, and we need to, um, you know, build all of the things that would be necessary to have renewable energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, the the building trades that we have here, the unions, are top of their game, um, and and are perfectly. Uh, you know, skilled to be able to be building these uh, things and, right. and manufacturing uh, things. So it's it's really just um, you know bringing in uh, companies and industry that that actually recognizes that um, you know unions are the the future, and we should be investing in union labor uh, to build high quality renewable resources.
0: This is the Pittsburgh current podcast we are with um, Democratic District 20 Democratic candidate Emily Kincaid and um, as we finish up here today I want to talk about two more topics one is I want to kind of ask you um, to kind of you know bottom line in terms of where are you different than Adam Ravenstahl? where do you see the main differences and where do you think people should be sort of looking when they're measuring between the two candidates where should people be looking what areas.
1: Um, I think the biggest difference between Adam and I is, is proactive versus reactive. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a proactive person. Um, I have been working on the issues that come up in Harrisburg, both at the state and federal level um, for over a decade for, for actually almost 15 years. Yeah. Um, I have the experience on a multitude of issues to be able to hit the ground running on day one. Um, and so i have you know almost at, like as much experience yeah. as he does but i'm also right uh i'm a fighter i've been i've been actively championing these issues where uh where he's been silent on a lot of them and he's largely been you know, voting the way he's been told to vote. Right. I am gonna vote the way that my district needs, that our state needs. People will never wonder where I stand on an issue. They will never have to come find me to to get help. I will be in the community, I will be around. Uh, they will know who I am. Um, they will know what it is that I stand for. And uh, I think that's largely the biggest difference between he and I. Um, I mean, the other thing is I've never had to be dragged into uh, acknowledging that uh, people, groups of people are entitled to exactly the same rights as everyone right. else. Um, because in addition to his recent evolution on uh on, on reproductive justice or or really just abortion is ultimately sure, what he's right. evolved on um, it to whatever extent that is you know in 2012 he submitted a questionnaire to the Stonewall Democrats um, which if anybody doesn't know who the Stonewall Democrats are they're the LGbt uh, democratic mm-hmm. group and he submitted a questionnaire that said that he opposed same sex marriage
0: correct You're and
1: right. and you know he has since said that he has evolved on that issue but he's never taken a stand uh, to, to protect this community. Right. Um, he just signed onto a bill uh, about the the panic defense to, to ban the panic defense with, with Representative Dan Miller, but it's been a decade that he could have been doing something mm-hmm. about this, and it's like he just discovered that this is an issue that exists, which if he had been talking to anyone in the LGBT community, right. he should have and would have known about this. Right. Um, you know, I'm an attorney. I've seen this defense. It's right. a, it's abhorrent. It is the idea that you can go be so panicked because you find out that someone is gay or transgender that you are just go into f- a fugue state and you're just prompted to uh, to violence or even to right. to murder. It's a it's a horrifying, yeah. and absurd defense that should never be right. allowed to happen. But yeah, I mean to to say. That you've just kind of discovered this as after 10 years as a legislator right. is um it, you should have been doing more
0: and this is still a, a state where we don't have um although the state's guidance under tom wolf has been um that uh, c- uh civil rights uh protections for lgbtq um uh, members of the lgbtq uh, community um, you know should be a protected class. We still don't have legislation on that. And we don't. And, and it's still I feel, I feel like since that since that guidance came out, I do feel like a lot of a lot of legislators have sort of hid behind that. Like oh hey, we we you know, we have this uh, but it really we still that's it's still something that we lack here and it's it's still amazing to me that it's something that we lack.
1: Yeah. I mean the Fairness Act has basically been stalled in committee. Yeah. Um and it's something that it shouldn't be. But it's also something that I think all of our state legislators have a responsibility to tell their constituents about. Like, hey, do you want to know why it is that we don't have this? Because the Republicans won't move it forward. Right. Because they won't take it out of committee. They won't even bring it up for a vote. And this is not okay. And we need to work together to, you know, make sure that that there is a lot of pressure on these Republican state representatives who and and state senators who are not doing enough um, and and.
0: It, it it almost it almost feels like it's um, for some legislators. It's like it's like um, the right for say they felt like the right for to same sex marriage was sort of you know pushed upon them, and so you so we're in a we're in a state we're in a place where you can marry you know you can marry your partner regardless of of gender or who they are, but you can be fired for having a picture of your wife or your husband on your desk at work. Yeah. And that's just sort of always hit me as, it almost feels like it's a, well, you know, so we have to do this because, you know, the Supreme Court, but, you know, here we're, we're still not, we can still sort of, you know, for whatever reasons, I, I, I always just assume it's, you know, ass backwards, religion, <laughs> religious, and, and, you know, that sort of... um uh, righteous indignation of you know my way is the right way kind of a thing, and mm-hmm. it's just it's just it it always felt to me like this has been sort of um, a way to sort of almost you know thumb their nose a little bit at at the law.
1: Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of you know well the Supreme Court can't tell me what to do, right? Which we saw most uh, evidently in Alabama when right. their Supreme Court literally said well, you can't tell us what to <laughs> right, do, right? Right. Um, and and we won't you know we won't do it but um but i i think that there's also this incredible when we talk about religious freedom in mm-hmm. particular this this absurd idea that christianity and and a and a very narrow kind of christianity mm-hmm. is the only christianity right. that we you know or the only religion that that you know, matters and should be taken into account when we're talking about religious freedom, because there are a multitude of religions that uh, accept LGBTQ, uh, you know, individuals that celebrate them and that are okay with uh, abortion. And and, you know, that that is something that is fine. And to say, oh, well, we're doing this for religious freedom purposes is very uh, disingenuous
0: um so i want to wrap up today um and maybe you shouldn't have said anything when you got here but <laughs> emily remarked that she uh, liked my x-men shirt and that she is a nerd a at heart huge nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about are you uh so tell me a little bit about your where do you, where are your stances in the nerd nerd nerdiverse uh, are you dc marvel where are you know
1: uh, I think I'm more DC than Marvel. Oh, okay. uh, I I'm a Trekkie, um, okay. and I I'm a Trekkie because that's you know that's really what got me into the nerddom. Um, yeah. I so I grew up with Star Trek. My mm-hmm. dad was a huge Trekkie, um, and actually to the point where growing up I was watch, I watched Reading Rainbow and I watched uh, Star Trek Next Generation. <laughs> that's awesome. And I couldn't figure out how Jordi LaForge could read books without his visor. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't understand how <laughs> the future this is works. limitless. Yeah, I don't understand how this works. It took me a very long time to realize that, like, it wasn't actually George right. LaForge uh, right. on reading Rainbow. Right. Yeah. How, right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Where's your visor? But then wait, how can you read as a blind? It was. It was just. It was great. Star Trek was. Yeah. Um, was 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 really great. No, that that's good tonight. I always think it's. Um, I always. Uh, I always think it's. Uh, I always have more trust in, in in nerds and geeks than I do.
1: Yeah. So, I'm very good to know. And and honestly, you know, kind of rolling back to talking about the, you know, progressive policies is like yeah. I in in my heart of hearts, I want to see us achieve the Star Trek future. Yeah. Where, you know, there's no poverty, there's no right. uh, disease, there's no famine. Right. Um, everybody can kind of achieve their best self and, right. and really pursue their dreams. And I think the progressive policies are the best way for us to get there. So ultimately, I'm just working for the Star Trek future.
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) Emily Kincaid, live long and prosper. And good luck the rest of the way down. Thanks for coming by. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And this has been the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. Again, just a quick reminder that Sunday at the Hard Rock Cafe in Station Square, we're we're hosting, co-hosting along with the... I'll tell you in a minute when I get to it. But we're celebrating International Women's Day this Sunday with the Pittsburgh Current and Women Who Rock at the Hard Rock Cafe. Overcoming a night of storytelling to benefit McGee Women's Research Institute and Foundation. And that's this Sunday, March 8th at 7 p.m. Tickets start at $20. Um, we're going to have... It's going to be hosted by KDKA-TV's Kim Gable and be music by DJ Jess. And we're going to have uh, folks like Liz Berlin, Fat Man D... Uh, Dr. Hollywood, they're going to be there, uh, among others, to share their stories of overcoming uh, the odds in their life. So we hope to see you there, and we hope to see you here next week on the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. New edition of the Pittsburgh Current on stands this Tuesday. Skid. 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 this bird extra extra reading the issue raw news and a